Morning, guys. Good morning. Why don't you all grab us? Actually, how about this? I'm going to have you all stand. So how about you all stand? Open in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we've been in a series where we're actually going back into the book of 1 Peter, and we'll be, we've kind of been in 1 Peter for a long time, but we, a little bit of a diversion. Um, if you've been with us for the past several weeks, you already know that, and I can explain it. You can go back and listen to the podcast. Hopefully, it's been helpful and informational for you as well. If you guys don't have Bibles, raise your hand. We have some ushers. I would love to get you a Bible. Uh, the next slide, I have a passage that we're going to be reading together. So just quick little roadmap as to what we're going to be doing. Today, we're going to basically finish kind of a, a lengthy section of Scripture in the book of First Peter. So it will cover from verse 7 on down to like 17. So it's kind of lengthy. I'm not going to read the entire thing just because of that. We will get to all of it in just a moment. Uh, then next week, we will finish the rest of chapter 3, and that will kind of lead us into a brand new season, uh, actually coming up to the time of Easter. So Easter is already sort of in the pipeline. Uh, we will be moving into the season of what's commonly known as Lent, according to a Christian calendar, which is kind of how we try to organize our time frame and think about the life of Jesus. We will be moving in uh, to the season of Lent beginning at the end of February. We will go through a brand new series, actually just looking at the seven last words of Jesus' teaching or speaking from the cross. They're very powerful phrases and words and ideas, and they contain the most important like accumulated ideas and concepts that Jesus has to say prior to him being crucified. So I think it'll be of incredible benefit for us as we then move on into the season of Easter. So what I want to do right now is I want to read just this little section right here, but the way we're going to do it today is we're all going to read it. So so if you've been, uh, now most of you, 50% of you have not been to our men's group because, you know, for obvious reasons, but the point of the matter is what we typically do at our men's group is we will do this like little call and response type of a thing. And or sometimes we'll just read together uh, passages of scripture or the Apostles' Creed or some of these other things. And that's what we're going to do here today. We're just going to uh, read it all out loud. In fact, um, this is, I, I don't know what translation is. It might be NIV. So if you're reading from your Bible, like, um, it, it won't uh, correlate with that. So I put up on the screen for you. So we will all read together nice and loudly. So this is, again, another practice for you to use your vocal cords to boldly, loudly read this together, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get to work looking at this. Sound good? So I'm going to do this kind of three, two, one, count backwards, and we'll start together. So three, two, one. Here we go. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect. A little bit of a typo there. Sorry about that. Uh, I just caught that. Do you guys see a lot of my typos that I put on there? How many? Of you, I want to know who you people are. Raise your hand that you notice them. Okay. All right. Yeah. Some of you guys notice me. Like, next. why are there always so many typos? I take full credit for that. I don't have an editor. You're welcome. So, anyways, um, I'm going to pray right now. We're going to get to work looking at this large passage of Scripture. So, Jesus, right now, we just collectively say that we need you. We want to know what it means to honor Christ as king over our hearts. And not just over our hearts, but over our lives, over our thoughts, over our careers, over what we think is sexuality and how that defines so much of our landscape. Jesus, if indeed you are king, supreme king, 
That means there's a lot of there's a lot of rivals to that right now that we have to maybe confront. So we ask God right now for transparency and honesty. And that we truly would just regard what scripture teaches us to honor Christ as king. So we entrust this time in your hands. We pray these things in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. amen. All right. Why don't you all grab a seat? All right. I got a lot to say today, but I'm going to keep it within a parameter. You're welcome. I want to do a quick little intro, um, and I have some like little intro statements. I'll just kind of go along with what I'm going to say, and then uh, just there's a book recommendation I have. Uh, uh, I recently had just read this book the past couple weeks, and it's, I was like, oh, this goes along a lot with just the teaching in the book of Peter. So uh, I would highly recommend maybe just checking out, get an audiobook version of this. Um, but I want to start off by just simply saying a handful of things. So number one, God cares about our lives and how we live them. Number one, God cares about your life how you live it. Uh, And this is also just the idea basically saying, in contrast, uh, again, much of Western Christianity has kind of been focused upon uh, a belief statement. In other words, as long as you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then then you're good. You're in the kingdom. You're going to heaven one of these days when you die. But you can live, it's almost like free pass, you can live as hell. And I would suggest that is not Christianity. That's a variant form of Christianity, but it's not Christianity. Christianity involves the sum total of everything about who you are, your life, how you think, how you feel, how you, all of this involves the sum total of everything. God cares about the entirety of your life. Uh, Secondly, that I have written up on here as well, society claims to care about our lives and how we live, all right? And then there's just some things that I've written out. So again, if there's more like typos or misspellings, whatever, it's all on me. Um, and I wrote on, I went on to write, it has catechized us into believing that we are our own and we belong to ourselves. Uh, marketing it as, so it's kind of like the big marketing campaign, uh, you are self-belonging people. All while supplying us a million of options to choose from. And this is the big general theme and idea that, that kind of runs throughout culture right now. Is that you, you can be whoever it is that you want to be. Just choose your own path. It's, you are self-belonging. You belong, if I can put it this way, you belong to yourself. That's the claim. You are your own master of your destiny. And this sounds wonderful. In fact, a lot of ways uh, it kind of plays into the larger, uh, I think, um, scene within culture where, again, the most common, most familiar, most famous types of movies or storylines are ones that we would call the hero's journey. You know, this kind of involves stories like Lion King to The Matrix to Lord of the Rings trilogy to, you know, Star Wars, where you have this, this person that kind of starts out their life, just, you know, lowly, it's kind of horrible life, self, you know, self-existence. And then they begin to realize, oh my gosh, there's life beyond, you know, Tatooine or wherever it is. It's like, there's life beyond just the, you know, what, oh my gosh, what, not Hobbiton, you know, but what's, what's that called? What's, the Shire. I can't even believe it. I, please forgive me. Some of you, some of you guys that are like highly orthodox when it comes to Lord of the Rings, I, I just committed a sin. I apologize. Please forgive me. But yes, the Shire. There's life beyond the Shire and there's an adventure to discover. But all the time, this is where, you know, they'll tell you that throughout this process, there's like the start game, there's this call to adventure. And then thirdly, there's typically this, uh, this assistance. There's a need for a mentor that comes in. All of us. All of us have a mentor. We, we need somebody to guide us, to direct us. All good storylines have this. I mean, Luke Skywalker had Yoda, and at some point in his life, he had, you know, others. But the point of the matter is, we, we all have this need. 
Harry Potter had, I don't know, I'm not a big, I, I, I mean, I, I, I've always wanted to get into Harry Potter, so again, I'm, I just realized I'm offending a lot of you today, but the point that I'd make, getting back to the Bible, is, is, that, is that as human beings, we need something to guide us and direct us, and so we, but we have this mindset that we are self-belonging. We are ultimately the masters of our own fate and our own destiny. Okay, next slide, as we go into this, and again, a lot of these ideas are sort of shaped by some of the framing of the book. Um, with that, going to write on here that with freedom of claiming self-belonging comes responsibility. This is, this is the big E on the ITR I do not want you to miss. Because with this sense of like freedom, I just want endless options to choose whatever I want, when I want. I don't want mom telling me what to do. I don't want my religion telling me what, to, what I want to do. I don't want my oppressive government telling me what I should and shouldn't be doing. I don't want all of these other sources and voices in my life telling me what to do. I want to be my own self-belonging individual. So with freedom comes responsibility. This is where it gets scary. That means that the choices that we make have consequences. That's where it can get really frightening. And I think, honestly, it's one of the reasons why I think it leads in, you know, I'm sure you guys heard of the phrase, choice paralysis. You know, you walk into a store or you look at the menu of like, you know, dating options. You're like, I don't, I don't know. What if I choose the wrong one? What if I choose the wrong one? If this is like, like, for, till death do us part, you know, this whole thing. Like, what if I choose the wrong one? What if I'm not going to be compatible with them emotionally, relationally, sexually? What if at some point, 10 years down the line, my sexual desires might want something better than what is being offered by this? There is this endless possibility of consequences by way of responsibility, and that could be paralyzing. And in the book, he describes, and then these are his ideas, uh, he begins to lay these out that with responsibility comes this idea, like, number one, we have to justify our existence. In other words, why, prove your worth. Why do you even matter? Again, everybody goes through this. We, we cannot live without a deep sense of, I, I, I matter. I matter to somebody. The question oftentimes we have to wrestle with, who do you matter to? And why does that, why does that matter to you uh, with whom we matter within that context? Uh, secondly, he describes, we also then, secondly, have to, by way of this responsibility, we have to both curate and then present our identity. We have to figure out who do we want to be, and then we have to present it endlessly. Like, this is where social media gets absolutely chaotic, because it's like, if you are not daily, regularly showing up, all the, you know, the big, you know, megastars, influencers that are on there, uh, there's a Netflix show, which I can't even remember the name of it, might have been called Social Dilemma, I think, I don't know, uh, but I remember watching something over the past year, and they were describing how some of these influencers, it, it actually gets utterly exhausting. They have reached the top of the pecking order, top of the food chain. They know what's up. They've got the claim of fame of everything. Everybody wants to be with them in a picture and whatnot. But they also will tell you it's absolutely exhausting and anxiety-producing. So number one, we got to justify our existence. Number two, we carry the responsibility of having to both curate as well as present our identity one of the reasons why it's like we got to show up on social media, we got to show up at the clubs, at the parties, at the bars, at the events, at the mixers, because if I'm not there, I'm either dealing with the sense of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out, or I just become non-relevant. And that, that becomes sort of a self-consignment to a form of hell, suffering. You just get eaten up inside. I'm not there. I'm not known. I'm not recognized. I'm not wanted. You see what I'm saying? This is how it plays out. Uh, third thing he describes, uh, we have to create meaning. So you have to, at some point, with all this subtotal stuff that's going on in your life, you have to somehow figure out a trace of meaning in behind of it. Because, again, doing meaningless actions, like this is the, the beginning of the hero's journey. 
You know, Luke Skywalker living on Tatooine is just like, my life stinks. It's meaningless. I need meaning. Or, you know, Bilbo Baggins, you know, just in the midst of the Shire, like, I, I need something bigger than just, you know, beautiful green paradise, grass, and all sorts of food, and second desserts, and all this stuff. stuff. I need more. I need adventure. So I need meaning. And this, is, this kind of plays into the, the bigger idea. Third, uh, fourthly, we have to adopt the morality. So at some point, you have to think about, like, what is right? What is wrong? This is one of the reasons why I, I would say, and I've been saying this for uh, several months now, is that I think tribalism is, and I would even say this, that political tribalism has become sort of a new secularized version of religious tribalism from 25, 30 years ago. You know, 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was like, what tribe do you belong to? I'm a Presbyterian, or I'm a Baptist, or I belong to this tribe, or I'm a Calvinist, or I'm a, you know, whatever. And, and those are our identifying, identifying markers. And so, therefore, we know what we believe. We are firm in our stance, and therefore, we can find the enemy to whomever that we belong to and then lob, you know, accusations or whatever against them. Um, now, because we are increasingly more, more of a secularized culture and society, uh, we still have this ache uh, need to belong to something. We still need to have some sense of morality. We have to. We can't just, as human beings made in the image of God, we have to have some form of morality. So we then turn to secular alternatives to try, I, to, try to identify, to side with, to connect with, and that becomes sort of like our, our religious, our secularized religious people. That's our, that's our crew. That's our, that's our church that we belong to. And then fifthly, he describes the idea that we have to maintain a sense of belonging um, without really disrupting our absolute freedom. So uh, the way he plays this out, it's kind of like, on the one hand, there's a schizophrenic idea where it's like, on the one hand, I want to be absolutely autonomous to do whatever I want when I want, but I also want to be married. (laughs) I want to look really, really thin and fit and have six-pack abs, but I also want to eat everything that's in front of me. (laughs) I don't ever have to want to work out. We want absolute freedom. We want access to all of these choices and options in front of us. There's endless possibilities. But we also recognize that with that comes responsibility. With responsibility comes everything that he lays out here. All right, next slide. So as we begin to think about this, he, Alan Noble, makes a statement, uh, the author of that book. He says, society offers help to those responsibilities by showing us happy, attractive, wealthy people on social media, living their best life, uh, leveraging our belief and faith. So in other words, while we're watching this, it's kind of like a church, it's kind of like a church uh, engagement. We're watching all this stuff. We're like, oh my gosh, I like that. I want that. You like it. You comment on it. Somehow you hope that they'll comment back. They'll ping back onto you and then you'll be recognized. You'll be in their spot. And so it's kind of like a church service where we are looking at this and saying, I want that. I believe in that. I believe I can do, I can do that. And what it goes on to say, that fame, attractiveness, wealth, can mean uh, meaningful lives or leave, uh, live meaningful lives. It provides ways to optimize your life to be bigger, better, faster, and more efficient, along with being more confident in yourself, your identity, your views, your body shape, and then how to perform your life before others for their affirmation. So in summary, what I want to say before I jump into the teaching uh, scriptures here is the idea that your life matters. Next slide. Your life absolutely matters. Matter. Hold on, let me finish this one right here because this is good. He goes on to say, researchers are finding that today people are perceiving that their social context is increasingly demanding, that others judge them more harshly, and that they are increasingly inclined to display perfection as a means of securing approval. In other words, our society supports individual expressions of self-curated identity, but at the same time, we experience from our society a conflicting message. If our self-expression doesn't meet the certain socially constructed expectations, we will be ignored, isolated, dismissed, and or 
canceled. We want to be ourselves, but we also want to be loved. Our society rarely allows for both. And this is where the beauty of the gospel comes in. God says, no matter how broken, messed up you are, no matter how much you fail, I'm never going to cancel you because I was canceled for you. I was crucified. It's the ultimate form of canceling. And, and therefore, I offer a place for you at the table. And we'll get into more of this in just a moment. And again, especially in these next few weeks as we begin to dig even deeper into the whole subject matter of the death and life and the resurrection of Jesus and whatnot. Now, next slide. Um, how you choose your life matters. So therefore, choose your template carefully. If you want to put it in the context of storyline or myth, choose the mentor that you're going to follow carefully. And do not ever think, don't fall for the myth or the lie that I'm just mentorless. I just choose my own destiny. You do not. Absolutely, you do not. There are so many studies today that have just proven that is not the case. I mean, social media is wired. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of these companies are wired in such a way so that they can somehow capitalize upon your thinking and help shape the way that you think. We are not just blank slates. We, we come to life with ideas that we're trying to resist and fight off and throw off and other ideas that are attractive that we hold on to and that shape us, that have a gravitational pull of our soul into its reality. So with that being said, choose your life and your template carefully because it will inevitably lead to either a good life that Scripture describes as one of like fulfillment, satisfaction, where God looks upon you and you sense his delight and his joy, or it can oftentimes lead to one full of regrets. It will either lead to a life that's filled with reflecting the character and the image of God, or it will lead to a life that distorts the character and the image of God. It will either lead to a life that loves other people by humanizing them, rehumanizing them, or it will lead to a life where you will be taking advantage of other people. They will basically be your pawns in the, the scheme of your life so that you benefit off of taking advantage of them. Uh, or it will lead to a place where you are going to be doing good. Which from that, you're going to be caring for your environment, society, politics, life, all, of, all the things that make for life around us. Or we will contribute to the brokenness. And or we will embody just simply an apathy of just like, I don't really care. I don't really care what's going on. But I would suggest that how we choose the template. And this is where I think it brings us right back to the passage uh, that we just read. That as we honor Christ in our hearts, that has a shaping effect upon our lives and how we live. So with that, I want to jump right back into the passage. And I want to basically look at uh, verses um, 7 all the way, uh, verse 8 all the way down to verse 17. The way that I want to do this, I want to do this backwards. I want to do this backwards. So again, I want to start with this section where we just read that little moment, that spot right there. And I'm going to move our, all the way back to verse 8. So again, I want to frame this in the bigger context. That Jesus actually reshapes everything. But the way that Peter writes this, and again, he's writing to a group of Christians that are living in the first century. And again, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that uh, you're already familiar with the script. But if you're not, then hopefully that'll be helpful. But the big idea is that Peter's writing to a group of followers of Jesus that are living in a culture that is widely uh, hostile to them. And so therefore, they're trying to make sense of how do we faithfully live our lives devoted to Jesus in spite of the culture that keeps constantly pushing back on us, keeps constantly trying to fall, find fault and wrong with us, and keeps constantly trying to attack and destroy and distort who we are as human beings. And Peter's message to them over and over again, cling to Jesus, live faithfully to him, love your neighbor, 
And do that on repeat. And in the end, you will discover that Jesus will always be there with you, by your side, and the hope of eternal reward is massive. You might be snuffed out in this life. You might face cancellation in this life. You might have your words and your lives misunderstood in this life. But in the end, you have Jesus, who will be your great vicar. So, with that being said, I want to just jump right in, take a look at verse, uh, again, going backwards, verses 15 through 17. I'm going to read this, make a couple comments, we'll move on to the next one. Jesus, uh, or Peter writes in verses uh, uh, 15 through 17, he says, But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy. I'm reading from the uh, ESV right now, and the big idea is Jesus, honor him, recognize him. What is honor? Honor is basically a way of acknowledging. It's showing respect and uh, uh, duly uh, received uh, appreciation for who he is. Why should we do this? Because he's going to go on later at the end of the chapter, which we'll get to next week, is that what Jesus did is he gone through a whole sort of forms of suffering on our behalf for us. In other words, he is deeply, deeply trustworthy. And so therefore, he says, honor Christ with your life. Jesus is worthy of honor. And he goes on to describe, uh, then he says, always be prepared to have a defense for anyone who asks of you the hope that is within you. And the word defense uh, is the uh, Greek word apologia. Uh, we oftentimes hear the word you know, apologetics, if you ever heard that phrase. The big idea is have an answer. Know how to be able to describe, articulate. Not just with words, definitely with words, but also with your life. So that when people look at your life, that they will see how you live, how you speak, the, your life that you are following, and be able to identify. There is a life here that points to, ultimately, something beyond yourself, to, to Jesus. So live in such a way that your life itself is just apologetic. I think the greatest apologetic is love. Is demonstrating love towards God, love towards others, and what we like to describe as a church. Like, these are the big main things. Our mission, our vision as a church is to love God, love others, and to do good. So I think as we embody that, live that. It points to, as an apologetic, gives an answer to those that are like, oh, what are, what are Christians all about? Uh, again, I think we can all point to the fact that Christians have not always done a great job at this. We can all think of examples of ways in which Christians have failed or megastar pastors have fallen and done something horrible. And again, there's, there's plenty of them. And I would even add, it's really easy to just point to those things. But it's not easy to embody those things, to live those things. And we're called to live those things. And this is exactly what he's describing. Then he goes on to say, uh, and, but then do this, be able to give an answer with gentleness and respect. Then he goes on to say, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, uh, revile your good behavior in Christ, may be put to shame. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for good if it is God's will than for doing evil. And this is really important to note that part of the landscape of following Jesus does not mean everything in life, just because you follow Jesus, life is going to go awesome. There's going to be times that it will be very challenging, very difficult, what Peter describes as suffering. We will face suffering. In fact, I, I want to be really clear on this. I don't care if you're a follower of Jesus or you're a follower of the systems of this world. If you're very, very faithful to societal standards and you say, I'm just going to live the best secular humanistic lifestyle as I can, you will face deep suffering. We, we cannot flank it. It's there. Part of living in a broken, messed up world. Uh, we will not only incur suffering oftentimes upon ourselves, but we will also sometimes inflict suffering upon other people. We'll be the source of it. And what Peter's suggesting here is that as we honor Christ as Lord, and as we give a defense by way of our lives in an attitude of gentleness and honesty and humility, then we will be able to, as we go through suffering, uh, we will be able to go through suffering in a unique way that hopefully resembles the type of suffering that Jesus himself 
had gone through, which that's where he's going to get to next week. So uh, 1 Corinthians, this is the sum thing that I want for us to really point out. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 23, and then later on, uh, chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. If you want, you can write this down. I don't know if you know, I have it up, up on the screen, but just listen to what he has to say. He says, you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So it raises a question. Who do you really belong to? Who do you really belong to? Or maybe to, to whom do you belong, right? Is that more better English? More better? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, like, this is, this is an absolutely important question. Because if Jesus is who we belong to, I mean, we wake up our lives, we wake up in the morning, we're like, Jesus, what do you want from me? If, if there is not a conscientious awareness of that, there is a very strong pull in our world around us that's sucking us into its vortex. And we may think that we've got the strength to avoid it, to counteract it, to counterbalance it. But the point of the matter is, is that we oftentimes are, are shapeshifters. We grift through life, shaping the way that we look to fit into certain circumstances. We just can't avoid it. I mean, it's, it's, it's like junior high on repeat for the rest of our life. I don't care how old you get. We will keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Because part of the core of who we are as human beings, we want a sense of meaning. and We want to be known and loved. And this is where the gospel actually really addresses this. It says, you belong to Jesus. And again, he's writing to people that have recognized or acknowledged the fact that King Jesus is Lord. And then he goes on to say, chapter uh, 6, he says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you guys are familiar with this. Uh, whom, uh, 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 from whom you have uh, come from God. And then he goes on to say, you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So therefore glorify God in your body. And again, this is the, uh, uh, an anchor to say, ultimately at the end of the day, we have to like think about what is the answer to that question. To whom do I ultimately fully belong? To Jesus? Then you have to wrestle with the question of what does that mean? How does that look like? What does that play out? What are types of emotions that are healthy for me to hold on to? What are emotions that are probably not healthy for me? In other words, like endless vengeance and hatred towards people that have hurt me and wronged me. At some point, Jesus says, you got to let that go because it will kill you. What if, you know, what if you're saying, I want to follow Jesus and I was just going to be absolutely stingy. I want to live with a scarcity mindset and never, never be generous. Jesus would say, well, that'll, that'll kill you because that's, that's not your nature. It's not, that's not my nature that's been birthed in you. Um, and, and it will somehow begin to distort the image of God. But this is the important thing that as we begin to unpack this and think about this, it's this big idea, who do we belong to? Again, Alan Noble says this in terms of addressing specifically Christians. This is what he says, very carefully, listen. Because many Christians today in the West have related to Christ or his church as something that enhances their life. It's like a gym membership or a subscription rather than something we fully belong to and are welcomed into. The problem is, is that when Christ or his church confronts our idolatry or self-expression, it's really key. We simply cancel our belonging and find something new since fundamentally we have consumed the cultural narrative that we belong to ourselves. Think about that. So in reality, when we find ourselves sometimes having someone maybe in our lives that's been like a mentor, but like, hey, bro, you sleep with your girlfriend is sinful. Jesus doesn't like that. He wants you to not live like that. You have a choice now of saying, I don't want to be part of this. Well, this is what's happened. Either your idolatry or your idol of self-expression has been confronted. And that, that can feel painful, but that can also become the pathway to a brand new world, of healing, 
and wholeness, where you actually become part of this project of renewal and resurrection and healing. Again, that's just one example. You can, you can put countless ones into that little slot right there. But the point that I would make is this. It boils down, all of it boils down to this question. Who do I belong to? If I belong to Jesus, then that, he, that means that he has claim on my life and how I think and how I live and how I treat all these other little aspects in my life. So what I want to do right now is we continue through this. I want to wrap it up with some final thoughts because uh, the second thing that we're getting, going backwards is look at the idea of actions, that this begins to uh, affect our actions. He goes on to say, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for you were called to that so that you might obtain a blessing. Then he goes on and he quotes from uh, extensively, extensively from Psalm 34. I'll just read it. He says, for whoever desires to love life, see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Uh, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace. Let him pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, he says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So again, he, adjusts, or he addresses the fact that following Jesus, having Christ as Lord, Having our lives devoted to him will not only uh, impact uh, the idea of the authority structure in our lives. In other words, who is the authority that we turn to? Who is the, the master, the mentor, the, the sage that we follow and we let them dictate and guide and shape our thinking and our understanding? Uh, secondly, it affects our actions. And thirdly and lastly, uh, it affects our attitude. This is what verse Peter chapter 3 verse 8, and then we finish with this. He goes on to say, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart and humble mind so he begins to identify like how we how we think about other people not just what we do but also how we think about other people gets adjusted and transformed and reshaped uh ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 paul the apostle says something like this i urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the holy spirit in the bond of peace there's one body one spirit for which to you were called, one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who's over all, through all, in all. The big point that he's making here is that, that Jesus has claim over his church, which means Jesus has claim over our lives. And what Jesus cares about is building his community, his family, as, as a community that is a family that loves one another. This is why, again, the idea that I think some of the challenges that we face as Christians in our culture is we want to jump to emotional uh, counter-strikes upon a culture that we see just around us going into chaos. And so, again, it's the idea that Christians have this tendency to to attack other Christians publicly. It's like, I have a gripe, a grievance against another fellow Christian, so I'm going to go immediately to social media and just post all my rants against this person without having dialogue, sitting down with them over coffee. And again, I would strongly acknowledge that as tempting as this is, you have to ask the question, does this represent the life of Jesus? Or does it more just reflect the way of society at large? To whom do you belong? Who holds claim over your soul? Lastly, I'm going to have Dan and the team come on up, and as they're coming up, I want to just read a quick little statement from a guy by the name of John Stark. He's a pastor and a writer, and he just simply said this. In fact, he was kind of writing this um, about the book that I had made reference to in his summary thoughts. He says, a life belonging to Jesus, and let me, let me set this up. 
he's pointing out that following Jesus is its own reward. There are rewards. Why do we make choices in this life? Why do we do the things that we do? Because, I'll, I'll tell you real quickly, we do so because we think that the promise of reward will be great. Why does the hero leave the shire and go then begin on this adventure? Because he's, there's a hope that there's, there's a promise of reward. And again, it might not always come in the shape of money or whatever. I mean, again, it, it can come in lots of different shapes and sizes. But the big point of the matter is, is that we have this craving, this longing to be acknowledged, to be rewarded, to receive something. And, and again, a lot of times Christians over the years have just kind of shied away from like expounding upon the idea of reward because I think there's a deep sense of like, well, we don't want to like, you know, bring people in to this idea, this worldview of Christianity falsely so that, you know, um, promise them with something that will not fully meet their expectations. The, guys, yes, this life will have suffering, but this life will also sometimes have incredible rewards. I can testify to that. My, my wife and I have been living here for almost 30 years, and it's been filled with lots of suffering, lots of, lots of pain, lots of hardship, lots of challenges. But we also have to step back and acknowledge there's been joys and blessings and rewards that we, we could have never even imagined had we chosen an alternate path. And this is where he goes on to say is that the hope of eternal reward is so massive. You want more on this? Just read The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. Again, strongly recommend it. It's a book that big. Get through in a few hours of that. This is what John Stark says. He says, The life belonging to Jesus one day will hear the Father say, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. As loud and as often, as intimately as Jesus hears it upon himself. Union with Christ means what is true of Christ is true of me. What belongs to Christ belongs to me. The deeper and more thoroughly we grasp this, the more easily we will joyfully cut ourselves off from the cultural supports that only end in self-medication and resignation. Oh, I didn't even touch about on that. But when society and its offer to the good life fails, that's okay. That's okay. They got your back too. There's an endless supply of meds to take care of all that. Endlessly. But it doesn't ever address the deep ache in our souls. 